Pastor Nathan has been talking uh, pretty regularly over the last few weeks about the body of Christ and how when we gather together, um, that it's, it's the, the, the coming together, right, a many-membered body under the headship of Christ and, and functioning and, and how we're all sort of uniquely gifted or, or talented and God puts us in, in special places uh, to function. And um, I just wanted to, um, on behalf of myself, on behalf of our family, um, just to, to say thank you um, to all of you for, for being the body. Um, for any of you who are, who are maybe visiting or don't know, my wife Jules had uh, emergency surgery a couple weeks ago. And, um, man, you want to talk about the body being the body. Um, you can ask the elders who got text messages at 11.45 and 3 o'clock in the morning uh, asking for prayer because I didn't really know who else to go to at that point. Uh, and then a whole stream of you once we got to a more respectable hour. Uh, Jen Beach, who covered, I was supposed to be teaching uh, in the upper elementary class the other day, and Jen just made a happen. Right? I, I was a joint and ligament that, that could not supply that day, and Jen just made it happen. Um, but we've had meals. We've had, I mean, dozens of you that have prayed. Um, I want to, you know, specifically uh, thank uh, for, you know, uh, just kind of remembering that this was, this happened at around 12.30, the morning of Mother's Day. Right? I told Jules if she wanted a day away to herself, there are other ways to accomplish that um, other than heading to the ER, right? Um, but we made a phone call, not even a phone call, I made a text uh, to Ben and Melinda, and at 12.30 in the morning, on Mother's Day, uh, Melinda showed up at our house and stayed with our kids for seven and a half hours so that when they got up, right, there'd be somebody with them right, on Mother's Day. Right. So I don't know, I don't even know uh, what agenda uh, we threw into chaos doing that. But I sent one text and I got one text back I texted Ben because I figured he's probably up. And I said, can one of you come? And he said, Melinda's on her way. So, so thank you all for being the body. Right, practically, spiritually, thank you. So for any of you who are, are new or relatively new, as a body, we're going through, uh, over the next couple of years, reading through the Bible together, kind of systematically uh, doing this program together where, you know, there's a short reading every day, and then there's this wonderful commentary, this uh, just wonderful man of God who, who takes 10 or 12 minutes to sort of explain things along the way. And um, it, It's just been so uh, life-giving uh, to me. And, and so now we're to the part, I think we're 16, 17 weeks into that. And for the first time, we've come to a place. This week, we were, it was a little bit eclectic. We're in the book of James in the New Testament. We're in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, right? All things that are, you know, I can handle those, right? And, and then we spent the latter half of the week in the book of Numbers, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. 
And as you might suspect, right, if you've not read through it before, there's an awful lot of counting. And, and, I, and I don't say that lightly, or, you know, I mean, I mean from the very beginning, right, there's, there's this sort of process going on where God is sort of inventorying with Israel, right, each, the, the nation as a whole, and each tribe, and families, and he's, he's setting things in order, right, because they're about to, to set out. They're about to, um, to start moving. God, at this point, is, he's redeemed them out of Egypt, and now they're kind of on hold, waiting, right, to start the journey uh, into the promised land, to, to lay hold of of everything that God has promised them, right? Their inheritance as his children, as the nation that he's set apart for himself. And so part of that process is the book of Numbers. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, um, but how many of you found this to be a little bit dry, right? I think we're through like six or seven chapters of this, right? And I think there's only, there's like 30 some chapters, 35 chapters, 36 chapters in the book of Numbers. So we're a sixth of the way through, guys. And so what I've been praying this morning, and the reality of this is true, whether we were in the book of Numbers or anywhere else, but unless God breathes on this, right? It, it's just that. It's, it's numbers. Right? But I think as we, as we look into this, my prayer this morning is that, is that we're going to lay hold of life, that we're going to lay hold of Christ in the midst of the book of Numbers. Right? And so if you found it dry, I want to ask you to, to just take a second and say, Lord, convince me that this could be otherwise. Right? So I know Corey prayed, but can we just take a minute? I just want to pray just So, Lord, I have to admit that this is is not an easy part. This is not an easy portion of your word, at least for me. But, Lord, that I know that you're you're in this, that that your word, that you don't send it out and have it return void. So, Lord, let our time together not just be about uh, getting through another book, but that you would breathe on this, that you'd, that you'd soften our hearts. Father, that you'd, you'd help us to see you in the midst of this. And Lord, that as you breathe on it, that we would come to life. That we'd lay hold of you in a, in a new way today. Or just prepare our hearts. Lord, stir our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to jump in. The, the first couple of chapters here, like I said, God's sort of taking inventory of, of Egypt, or Egypt, yeah, of, of Israel. Right? And they're adding up, and they're counting all the tribes, and you get to this really huge number, right? 600,000 plus uh, men uh, across all of the tribes of, of Israel. And in chapter 2, he's, he's basically telling them how to, how to order themselves um, right? We spent all of the book of Exodus, or the latter half of the book of Exodus, he's describing 
in incredible detail what the tabernacle and the, the uh, Holy of Holies and the Ark and the lampstand and all of these places, right, where God's going to dwell. And so the beginning of Numbers now, he's laying out for, for Israel, this is how I want you to arrange yourselves around me. Because the reality is, from Genesis to Revelation, the desire of God's heart is to dwell with men. And so when you read in, in chapter 2, right, you have the, the, the tabernacle, the tent where God's going to reside, and he has literally arranged Israel, right? Three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. He is at the center of the nation of Israel. Right? And he's promised to, to dwell there, and he's taking up residence smack dab in the middle of his people. And you can think, you know, just practically speaking, how helpful that would be, right? When you're trying to organize, uh, when my family, there's six of us, when we try and go anywhere, right? Getting six of us organized and into the car is quite, a, quite an ordeal. Right? The running joke in our house is, listen, my van needs to have four kids in it. It does not have to be you four, okay? So if, if another kid jumps in before you, I'm, I get to four, I'm closing the doors, and we're heading out, okay? And so God is practically organizing this nation of 600,000 men, probably 2 million people when you start factoring in, you know, women and children, right? There's some practical organization issues that he's tending to here at the same time that he's fulfilling the desire of his heart to be among and in the middle of his people. And where I want to focus today is in, is in chapter 3. He's talking specifically about one of the tribes, right, the Levites. And the interesting part is if you look at the organization, they do not have a location among the tribes around the— right? they're not assigned— because God says, I'm going to do something different with these guys. They're not going to operate the way everybody else operates. And so, in Numbers chapter 3, if you've got, your, if you've got a Bible, or whether it's in your hand or on your phone, right, he starts out, he gives a little bit of a, of a recap about Aaron and Moses and the four sons of Aaron, and right, those who had been tasked as, as the, the priests, to minister you know, directly unto the Lord. And then starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi, or the better translation is, Bring them near to me, and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him, and the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. And they are to take care of all of the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be put to death. And so you start, start kind of diving into this a little bit more, and you realize, right, he's calling the Levites to, to do the work of, of the whole nation of Israel. 
And so before we can go too much farther in the book of Numbers, you, we've got to go backwards into some things that God spoke to Moses and to the nation of Israel back in Exodus. In Exodus 13, right, as God is leading the nation out of Egypt, he's literally in the process of setting them free, he says to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. And so God's saying, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing this work. I'm in the process of doing this. And as I'm doing it, I'm asking for you to set apart unto me every firstborn male. Right? And the connection here is right at the same time that he's, uh, there's the, the plague going on in Egypt, right, where the firstborn, every firstborn in Egypt right, is being destroyed. God is setting apart for himself every firstborn of Israel. And you think, well, then, then why this tribe of Levites, if, they're, if every firstborn from every tribe, every womb, is to be set aside for the Lord, then why the Levites? Why, are, why is there a whole chapter in Numbers just about the Levites? And again, you've got to look a little bit further on in Exodus, but God, if you remember the story, right, about Moses goes up on the on the mountain, and, and Moses is meeting with God in, in a really powerful way. And while he's up there, it takes a little bit longer than everybody thought it was going to take. And so the people get a little anxious. We don't know what happened to that guy, Moses. Right. Give us something to worship. So Aaron says, well, take off your gold ne necklaces and chains and, and earrings and, right, by Aaron's account, he gathers it all up and they throw it in the fire and out pops a golden calf. And so Moses comes back down and he sees what's going on. And he rallies the nation of Israel. It says, Moses saw that the people were running wild, that Aaron had let them get out of control. So they had become the laughing stock of their enemies. And so he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And you know who came? The Levites. It says all the Levites rallied to him. Right? And they go forward and they destroy those who had worshipped the golden calf. And at the end of that, Moses tells the Levites, You have been set apart for the Lord today. You were against your own sons and brothers, and he's blessed you this day. And so you see this, right? Among a set-apart people, there's a, a set-apart, a setting apart even within the setting apart of those who, who said, you know what? We, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord. We're going to minister unto the Lord. And it's this tribe called the Levites. And so that's a really important context uh, as we look in, in Numbers today because the, that's exactly the group of people that the Lord is saying to Moses, all right, Moses, I want you to bring those guys, the ones who stood for me in the midst of, of the craziness that was going on while Moses was on the mountain. Those are the ones that I want. Right? 
And I will tell you this, in the midst of the craziness going on around us today, those are still the ones that God wants, right? Those who in the midst of all sorts of wild things going on around us, right? Those who will focus first and foremost on ministering to the Lord, right? That's what we're called to. And so I want to share really three observations as we go through this. Aaron and his sons are, are positioned um, outside of the tabernacle, right outside the door, right? Tent on three sides. There's only one door. There's only one way to get into the tabernacle. And Aaron and his sons are the priests positioned outside of that door. And nobody gets into the tabernacle except by going through who? Through them. Does that sound familiar? Right? Does that sound familiar? Hold your, hold your finger in numbers, right? And flip over to John 10. Yeah. Or if you're on your phone, it's a little bit easier to flip, but. Why does that sound familiar, right? That somebody would stand guard at the gate. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the entrance the tabernacle. I am the way in to the holy place, the, the place where God is. It's through me. Right? And so, as you read through Numbers, Aaron and his sons are a sort of type or a sort of picture, a foreshadowing of Christ. Right? Aaron is the high priest, the only one who can go into the Holy of Holies and minister before the presence of God. There is no one else except for Aaron just like there is no one else who can accomplish what Corey was talking about earlier, right? The shedding of blood at Calvary, of Christ laying down his life, accomplished what no one else could accomplish. Right? And so what you see here is, is a picture, a foreshadowing of our present reality. Right, of, of Aaron being a, and his sons being a picture of Christ ministering before the Lord. And so these Levites are being given. God is saying to Moses, this group of people who I've set apart, I'm going to get into that a little bit here in just a minute, but these people that I've set apart, I'm giving to Aaron. The same way that we've been given right, to our high priest. Right, to Christ. Not because we've been forced to or because we've been conscripted into service, 
right? Paul says in Romans 12, in light of God's mercy, right? In, in light of what we remembered this morning, present yourself to the Lord. Right? Right? You could translate that, in light of God's mercy, function as a Levite and do the work of the tabernacle. What was the work of the tabernacle? Right? First and foremost was to minister to the Lord and minister to the needs of the congregation. Right? So as much as Aaron, as you read through the book of Numbers, is a, is a picture of Christ, the Levites are a, a foreshadowing of all of us. Right? We are the people called to be wholly set aside. Right? Don't you know that you're not your own? Right? That you've been bought at a price. We are that people. That's our calling. If you're not sure today, if, if, you, if you have a relationship with the Lord and you're still sorting through, you're not clear of what your calling is, let me give you a little bit of a jump start, okay? Part of your calling this morning is this. You are called to be, right, a part of a people wholly set apart, ministering unto the Lord, right, and to the congregation, right, to everyone around you. That's the work of the tabernacle. That's part of your calling. Right? Not to be high priest, right? We have one of those. He's already entered in. He's already made a way. Right? That work is done. We, we're being called, right, to co-labor with him, to present ourselves to him the same way that, that the, this tribe of Levites was being called to present themselves to Aaron and his sons. That is a high calling. That is a weighty calling. That's our calling. I love that phrase, doing the work of the tabernacle. Because right? you read down a little bit further in verse 3, that's you know, ministering. That was music before the Lord. That was tending to all of the instruments, right? Every time the camp you got to remember, this is, this is a mobile group of people, right? That every time God moved, this people had to move, right? Just like in John 10, Jesus said, right, that, that after all of the sheep went out, they followed him wherever they went, listening to his voice. And so when God moved, these people had to move. And when they, the people had to move, the tabernacle had to move. And these guys were the ones responsible, right, for setting up and taking down, in exactly the way that God wanted it every single time for 40 years. That is what they were called to. We were joking at, at our small group the other night. Right? I love camping. Do you know what the worst part of camping is? Right? For me, the worst part of camping is setting up and taking down. Right? Once it's there, I'm good. I can't set up a tent to save my life. And it seems like every time I have to take it down, it's wet, it's cold, I'm in a hurry. I do not like that. I love camping, just not that. 
That's exactly what these guys were called to do. Every sheet, every pole, every base, every pin. Ministering unto the Lord. Ministering unto the people so that they had a way to present sacrifices unto the Lord. That's our calling. The next section of this uh, second observation how many of you guys have ever heard the phrase that our God is a jealous God? Does that sound familiar? You've heard that before? Like, I, I have had a vague sense of that. I, I, I want to read you this passage, and you tell me if that comes across in what I'm about to read to you, right? Of how eagerly God desired the Levites, right, to be set apart unto him. And, and, if, and if they're a foreshadowing of us, how eagerly he desires our lives to be set apart unto him. Take a listen to this, okay? This is in Numbers chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 11. And so the Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites. The better translation of that is, I have reserved for myself personally the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the firstborn offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart, I reserved for myself, I made holy for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord." Does that sound jealous to you? It sure does to me. And I'm not, this is a really weak analogy. That sounds an awful lot like the three-year-old in my house. Where everything is his. Right? And the reality is, right, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's not what this is talking about. What is not the Lord's, right? Look out in creation. What is not his, right? As the maker and sustainer, everything is his. That's a a general right of God. But what he's talking about here is something way, way more special than that. that out of a nation that's already been set apart exclusively for him, he's saying, these guys are mine. They are wholly set apart. First and foremost, for me. The language here is super clear, right, in the original. This is not, they are set apart. This is not, right, I'm going to let them out of Egypt uh, because I love redemption. I love buying people back just so that once they're out, I can let them go and do whatever they want. I'm going to let them pick, right? Once they're out, once I set them free, it's up to them. That is not this. This is, I set you free for a purpose. And that purpose is me. And so, folks, I want to tell you this today. 
the same provision, the same call is for us today. Right? In Galatians 6, it says we, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Right? God hasn't set you free. God hasn't washed you and cleansed you and, and um, ransomed you. He hasn't delivered you just so that you would be out of bondage and wander in the desert for 40 years. That is not what he's done. He has done all of those things for you and for me so that we would be wholly his. That's what the provision of. That's what we remember. See, we have a tendency, right? We're aware of our freedom and then we we get set free and then it says, Right? We all, like sheep have gone astray, we all go our own way. But what God's looking for is sheep who will hear his voice and will follow him right? wherever he goes. Right? Sheep who will pack up camp when he moves, even though they don't like packing up camp. Sheep who will set up camp when God stops, even though they might not think this is the place for us to stop. Any of you guys ever thought God left someplace too early? Or landed you in a place that you were not particularly interested in camping out in? I'm going to take a guess that over 40 years that Israel probably had a couple of those. But he goes before us, right? And his sheep hear his voice and follow him. That's our calling as modern-day Levites. Because we're not our own. We've been bought at a price. We remembered that this morning. Hebrews 10 says that we've been made holy. We've been set apart. We've been redeemed through the shed blood of Christ to be wholly His wholly his. Last observation. And I'm not going to read all of this text, but in verse 14, God has Moses start going through this process. He's, he's back to counting. He's back to inventorying the tribe of, his, or, tribe of Levi. Excuse me. And so it comes out with this grand total of 22,000 Levites were a month old all the way up through 22,000 because what God's doing is he's saying I'm going to take the tribe of Levi in place of the firstborn of all of the other tribes so Moses of course he's got to know he has to count up the tribe of Levi it comes to 22,000 and he's got to count up the firstborns from among all of the other tribes and what does he come up with 22,000 273. How many of you would have thought that that would come out even? That if God's behind this, when I read that, I thought, I'm kind of, I was was surprised. It was not what I thought it was going to be. I would have thought that the numbers would have worked out, right? For as much detail as, and time as God spent, telling Moses how to build the tabernacle, right, down to the thread color and the pattern and what to cover it with and what type of wood and 
this, this wide and no wider and this tall and no taller, I would have thought that God would have worked out the math. Do you ever feel like there's something in your life that you have a sense of what it should look like, but the math is just a little off? It doesn't quite look like what you think it should. I do. I do not look like the man of God that I should. If I were really honest with you. I do not look like the husband that I should. If I were really honest with you. I do not look like the father that I should. If I were really honest with you. I am not the new life elder that I should be, if I were really honest with you. I'm not the employee of the New York State Education Department that I should be, if I were really honest with you. Now, I'm not saying that today that I'm grossly off. I hope I'm not grossly off. But I know I'm not spot on. Why doesn't the math work out here? See, even though we're a holy set-apart people for God, we are not sufficient on our own. God, God didn't screw anything up here. The math worked out just perfect. And all it did was prove that the tribe of Levi, on their own, was not sufficient to redeem the firstborns of all of the other tribes. In and of themselves, those 22,000 came up short. Not by a lot, only by 273. But they came up short. And if you were really honest, you would admit that you do too. We all do. We all come up short. And you know what the great news of that is? Is that our redemption, right? The God who redeems us does not. Right? God makes a way, right? He redeems those 273. He doesn't, he doesn't let it go. He doesn't say, close enough. Again, you read the book of Exodus, close enough, that's not the type of God that we have. We do not have a close enough sort of God. But the Levites by themselves were not enough. That the only way to do it was for the Levites and for God together, right, of his plan and his provision and their partnership, not of what they cooked up, but of them joining with what God was doing, that is what it took. And that is what it will take for us. If you are operating under the impression this morning that, that, that that you've got enough 
that you're good enough, kind enough, whatever enough you think you've got, at the risk of offending you, I'm going to tell you, you are wrong. That you are not close enough for God to say, eh, I'll let that go. But what I will tell you is that he has provision to cover where you're not enough. And that provision is named Jesus Christ. That if you're here today, and maybe for the first time, God wants you to know he's longing to be smack dab in the middle of your life. He's longing to hear you say, he is mine, she is mine. He's longing for you to know that where you're not enough, he's able to abound and multiply grace and mercy salvation to you. That's what the Levites were called to. That was their inheritance. They didn't get land. They didn't get, they got the Lord. And he got them. And that's our call today. As Corey and the, the worship team come up, I want to share one last thought with you. This is, a, for some of you, maybe a familiar passage of Scripture, but maybe a little bit different lens after this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Right? Am I trying to convince you of something this morning? You better believe it. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And he goes on to say that God's given us this ministry of reconciliation, not counting men's sins against them. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. you're not enough, right? Just like those guys weren't. You are not enough today. Christ, more than enough. Right? To satisfy the Father, to redeem you and ransom you, to make a way for you. And so as we close with, with some song, I want you just to, to take a minute and, and wrestle with that if you have to. And when we're done, if, if you need prayer, you know, come and see me. 
Come and see one of the elders. Come and see Corey, Aaron. Come and see us. I'd love to talk with you more about this. Ed. He's looking for a people to be wholly his. Let's be that people. Amen?